0: i the the And welcome to another dumb podcast. I am Brad C. Welcome, welcome. Uh, With me is my podcast mate, Jacob. I would call him my macho man to Hulk Hogan. Is that a good comparison, Jacob?
1: uh yeah I, well i don't always the wrestler that's on like once every two months <laughs> I'll yeah
0: exactly you are a hulk hogan who shows up to the pay-per-views is yeah. what, what it yeah. would be when's right the
1: now. next major <laughs> yeah. like tiger tiger post fire hydrant yes
0: and jacob is newly 35
1: i think it is 35 now? big dog yeah
0: 35 and uh that's right there. And now Real-wise our crisis has just begun and it's not just a regular another dumb podcast, which is this is what this is. Now, um, we have a special guest today and uh, I guess I would call him maybe the uh, Jim Ross of of Dallas Mavericks. It, well, he, he agrees. OK, the good. OK, that, Jacob, you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I'll pretend I know who Jim Ross is. Go
0: on. He's not. He's not the lawyer in Arlington. He is the 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 uh, famous WWF announcer. Okay. But but today we have Mark Followell of the Dallas Mavericks, the voice of the Mavericks. Yay. Woo.
2: Hey. Did you guys know that? uh, Well, Jacob doesn't know this. Brad might remember. Did you know that uh, Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan eventually like split up over Miss Elizabeth? Remember.
0: Yes, many. Yeah, they have had their. Uh, and, and this is why I say, me and Jacob get don't get along a lot at times. <laughs> but whenever we're good to make money together, we're we're on it, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's yeah, what Hulk Hogan. We- what were they, uh, Were they, they were the superpowers? Is that what they uh, were, Remember when they were a tag team together? And then, yeah, then then Randy Savage said that uh, Hulk Hogan was trying to, like, move in on Miss Elizabeth, and the whole thing, like, blew up.
0: Yeah, they got, they got pretty good heat, so, yeah, but it's funny, uh, with Macho Man, he always said, "If you like Hulk Hogan? He's like, I always like making money with him, that's all, that's it, <laughs> so.
2: <laughs> that's wrestling lingo, by the way, Jacob, when somebody says that they got good heat.
1: Yeah. Got good heat? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, I The, tell the, crowd, like, the
2: crowd was really pissed off at you if you got good So, meat,
1: I, so. I, I burned bright and hot in about 1999 for uh, WCW. <laughs> Which is a weird Wolf time. That's a
0: weird time that, to but... get into wrestling.
2: That, yeah. was the, that was the Attitude Era. That was the Monday Night Wars and all that business. But he only into got into WWF. WCW.
1: I don't know why I never got into WWF. I guess I just only had so much brain space for wrestling, and it was all taken up by WCW. Yeah. Those were good times, though.
2: Yeah, you didn't want to get into the attitude era of the WWE. His, par- his parents Nine. wouldn't let him
1: watch that. Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: congratulations on being newly 35. Earlier this year, I'm nearly 50. So,
1: oh, Hey, milestones. I think how about saw- that, man? Yeah. Man, how, how fast does it go from 35 to 50? Because 20 to 35 was like a snap of the finger.
2: Um, Depends on which day you ask me. Some days I feel like it was a snap of a finger, and some days 35 feels like a lifetime ago. So it's, you know... Uh, I, I yeah, it just, it just depends on the day, man.
0: Well, yeah. uh, Mark, uh, we have you on again. And for the folks who didn't get to listen to that podcast, you should go listen to that. It was, uh, it was Twelve not months ago, right? It was, it was literally in May of last year. Okay.
1: May. Okay. Mark's like, okay. I did
0: this podcast. I don't I remember. remember.
2: Okay. Yep. Honestly, <laughs> like, like as a sign of as a sign of how time do, doesn't does or doesn't go quickly, I felt like it was not that far back. I did not realize no, that it was thirteen months ago. Not at all. Has
1: anything happened since then? Yeah. In, um, in the no. Yeah. No, yeah. Anymore. What the it's reason exactly was? Exactly the same.
0: Yeah. Exactly the same. Like when we had Mark on, it was almost like, well, we we're gonna have Mark on and not gonna have a lot of basketball to talk about because there right. was no basketball and we were just right. kind of like. Uh, so where did you grow up? Well, this <laughs> this one we That's, might how, have. a How are you doing today? <laughs> what, what do you do for fun? So <laughs> this one we might have a little bit more meat on the bone for this one because, yeah, we were like, as soon as, and this is just for me when when Carlisle uh, made his exit, I was I got I got on the phone with Jacob and go, we need follow, we got to have him on. Brad.
1: <laughs> Brad. Go ahead. Can I, before we get to current events, can I make one comment and ask Mark one question? You can do it, is that all the with things. You? Yeah. So, Mark, um, my comment is, for me, this was the most fun I've ever had watching a map season ever since the uh, title run. I and understand. And it, it caused me to tune into a lot of the ticket segments with Yuan and a lot of the post game shows, and it, it never ceases to amaze me how prepared and professional you are every time you're on the air and i really really enjoy that that's my oh, comment. thank you.
0: oh i was uh, gonna okay so it was the chris farley the it was the chris farley line jacob had
1: hold on we're gonna throw it his head for the rest of the time so just, <laughs> i got to get that out there now but my gone. question is yeah. would you agree it was the most fun math season um since the title run um that's a that's a good question I don't know. Um,
2: because there were still, look, there was still a lot of weirdness this year with empty arenas. True. Um, you know, the games were coming so fast and furious. Um, you know, like we played 38 games in 68 days after the All-Star break, which is, that is just freaking crazy. Yeah.
1: True. So
2: um, I appreciate you saying that. But I would probably say for me, no, it was not. OK. Um, to me, if I'm going to pick the most fun season post title, um, I would probably lean towards the Monte Jose Calderon take the Spurs to uh, seven games in the first round. You know, Dirk was an All Star that year still. Yeah. Um, you know th- that was that was a fun year. Brandon Wright, Dalen um, you know, Jay Crowder. That was that was a fun season. Man. What year was that? Okay. That was the 2013-14 um, season. Okay.
1: Yeah, I guess it just depends on I, the perspective you're watching it from, right? I, I, I guess for you, it's all more or less the same, right? You're broadcasting the games, you're doing the tic, uh, ticket segments, kind of the same routine every year. But for me, like during that season, I was, um, I wasn't able to watch many games because I was grinding away and at TCU trying to graduate. Sure. And now what a brand, you know, especially late in the year during the playoffs. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm I'm around my friends. We're we're at, we're yelling at the TV at every Tim Hardaway layup in the first quarter, and it was just right. a really fun perspective from my point of view. So yeah, I guess with you, you get a much more objective perspective.
2: Well, look. Uh, and again, I really appreciate what you said about the preparation and all that kind of stuff. And what I would say, and I don't know if I remember if we discussed this on the last podcast. And so before you guys start throwing – sorry, I did not turn my phone I down. I was to say,
0: Jacob, stop. Oh, it's just Mark. Yeah, Mark whatever. <laughs> that was me.
2: That was me. Sorry.
1: It's okay. Sorry. It's okay. completely okay. Okay. fine. All right. All right.
2: Our phone is turned down now. All it's right. Fine. So um, – the i don't know we discussed it last time but rule number one of follow well broadcasting and and preparation applies to this but also enthusiasm on the air applies to this and that is if i don't sound like i give a shit about the game i'm calling then how in god's name could i expect somebody sitting home on the couch to give a shit about the game if i don't sound like i do so that's a great always yeah. rule number one of the way that i approach games and like i said that manifests itself through being prepared um, because you never know when the 12th guy in the team is going to do something big. And that doesn't mean just for the Mavericks. That could mean for the opponent. And I think it's you got to prepare to say things good about the opponent because number one, look, it's hard as hell to get to the NBA. So I respect everybody who gets to the league. And two, look, you would sound really, you would sound like such a dumbass. I think you would lo- really lose your credibility if you said a lot of negative things or didn't say much or didn't have a real clue about the guys on the other team. And then what if two years later that person's on the Mavericks and then you act like they're the greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, so I think you have to be prepared for the opponent. You have to be able to say uh, good things about them, respectful things about them, know what their strengths and weaknesses are. And then, you know, uh, the enthusiasm thing, you know, it just gets back into if I'm not enthusiastic about it, then why would Jacob and Brad sitting at home you know be enthusiastic about it if i sound like it's ho-hum just another day at the office then um uh, you know people people might watch the game that way and that doesn't make my way the right way because i promise you um like politics no broadcaster has a 100 percent approval rating and so i promise you i've got my haters out there but what know, i'm doing it the way i think it should be done
1: i gotta say i i know people that dislike chuck morgan somehow but i've never heard anybody criticize no, me. no. Uh, well, I- thank you. <laughs> I was just just about to tell you.
0: I was like, "Followell seems like the most like
1: I don't know highest approval rating." Yeah, he's got to be.
0: uh, I'm trying to think of a uh, someone with a high high approval rating. Uh, He's like the opposite of Congress. Like his his approval rating is great. So, and and I think that's again that's how I mean you don't know this, but that's kind of how you and my relationship started was followell got me into basketball whenever... Basketball was never a part of my life. It was more or less a baseball, football type of thing. And Mark goes... Where I just plainly asked him on Twitter. This was years ago. This is maybe like 06, 07 type of thing. Going, how can you make me interested in basketball? And you go, this, this, and this, and this. I don't even remember what you said. But I was like, yeah. okay, let's go for it. And then I watched <laughs> I like it and I, I go, yeah, but... And it's what it was. You you got on the mic and you were lit- you made me excited about what the Mavs were doing. And it was easy. That, 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 those were easy days, though. I mean, Dirk, Dirk was an easy guy to be like. All right, you know, that's you know, that's, that's a good guy to be around, uh, to Dirk. want to watch. Whereas you know, some of those years uh, it, it was kind of hard. I have to yeah, admit.
2: sure. You know, I think the thing too with Dirk is that you know, we're not just covering games, and this applies to any sport any, that anybody is doing, whether you're doing it for a national network or whether you're a team broadcaster or whatever. We're not just doing games. We're, we're covering people playing games. And so, I mean, that's what, I mean, what made Dirk so incredible here is that he spent 21 years here, but he let his guard down so we could get to know him and realized what a freaking awesome dude he was. And that he was funny and had a sense of humor and was self-deprecating. And, um, you know, there was just so many... And, and incredibly philanthropic, but also did it in a way that was from the heart. And he didn't he didn't do it in a way to put on a show or anything like that. So there's just... I mean, look, we could go on and on about no,
0: that. No, no, I think that's, that's a pretty good point of, like, yeah, how <laughs> Dirk was. Dirk didn't do it, you know, uh, not to use a term that can be controversial, but, like, in a virtue-signaling way, it just, like, it seemed like Dirk was just man he really wanted to do what you know do the good thing on that but
2: you know like the whole bit the, the whole bit with his or not bit, but the whole deal with his uh visits to children's hospital that he would make to be uncle Dirk he'd be the Santa Claus like about a week or two before Christmas mm-hmm. you know that those nobody he would not allow any media to go to those until finally Brad Townsend worked on it and worked on it and finally convinced him to go you know probably about 2015 or something like that after it had been known that he'd been doing it for a decade and that's then finally incredible. yeah Brad you know went along and um, you know told the story of it and if you remember Dirk's last home game they did something during a timeout in the second quarter about that mm-hmm. like Dirk talking about that or Brad talking about his visit and the story that he wrote and then that's when Dirk looked up at, at that and started crying you know like during the game so yeah that was just, wow.
0: I'm not sure yep. I even uh, missed that whole thing, but yeah, that's I'm not surprised though. That, that's no, the least surprising thing ever.
2: See, see how I keep you guys from throwing it in my head by bringing yeah, up Yeah. All
1: right, let's get to the heaters. No, well, uh, well, can I?
0: Well, we were going to get on. We're going to get to the the meat of it, but then I wanted, I kind of wanted to jump to a topic that is interesting to me, and I've brought it up to Jacob is the kind of Luca versus Dirk um, phenomenon now. Mm-hmm. Obviously it seems like Luca is just it's it's hard to describe fully, but like, okay, pound for pound, Luca's gonna be, if not as good as Dirk, probably better. Now, putting all it around though, Luca is yeah, he's not maybe the most um I, I wanna say not likable. He seems likable. But he obviously does rub people the wrong way with some of He's his. He's
1: Not a saint like Dirk. Yeah, like, I, I, it's, that's a
0: hard that's a hard shoes to fill though. Like you're just yeah, like I don't know. That, I just like even. you're just kind of like I like playing basketball. I, I, I that's all I've got for you. Whereas I
2: think that and I think that I, I've I know that I've tried to say this in some interviews before that we have to let Luca be his own person because there's never going to be another Dirk. You know, we just have to come to terms with that. And I think that that's hard for fans. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think that might be challenging organizationally for us with the Mavs, that we have to realize that uh, there's never going to be another Dirk it's very easy to, like, want to start comparing Luca to Dirk because the transition happened. There were, they had the overlap of a season. It's, you know, another player coming from Europe. And so it's, it's you know, it's, it's easy to make the comparison, but there's just never going to be another Dirk. And that's fine that Luca's not Dirk. He can be his mm-hmm. own person with his, you know, own things that he does. Um, you know, I think it's clear that we've seen from some past situations that, uh, you know, he's also very philanthropic as well um you know so he's a great guy also i just don't think he's as uh self-deprecating and unguarded about himself as as dirk was and and some of it probably is growing up in a time where you know Dirk grew up in a time of a little bit more innocence uh there wasn't social media around (laughs) everybody wasn't walking around with a recording device in their hand all the time good point yeah and now i think that you have to be uh, a lot more guarded about who you are because there's somebody out there Looking to turn the slightest misstep into a big negative.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think yeah. I, I think to go with the Luca thing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a. I don't know if it's a humble beginnings thing because I, I mean he comes from. I'm sorry, I was about to get his country wrong. He's from Slovenia, right? Yes, correct. Okay. <laughs> Your Mavs fans, <laughs> the people who follow you, are about <laughs> to be like really bad. Is it Slovakia or Slovenia? <laughs>
2: But, you get up, it happens. Yeah.
0: but, I mean, you you got a kid who's, I mean, he's been probably famous since he was, like, 16, maybe?
2: Oh, well, I mean, that. I think earlier than that.
0: Earlier yeah. than that. So, I mean, yeah, it's, man, it's hard to stay a humble when you're that famous that early. Where mm-hmm. Dirk, I think, I don't think he grew up that way, especially in Germany. He had kind of maybe a, I don't know if he, it's, it's how do you keep that humbleness all the way through a twenty year career which you, you are undoubtedly a Hall of Famer and you won you know the NBA finals. I mean, how do you even do that? And he, he managed to do something like
1: that. Well Brad, the only thing I'll add to that is Dirt was a son of a bitch on the court, especially later in his career. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I think after 06, like, I think he got
2: angrier.
1: He was yeah. no off shucks guy on the court. No, 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 yeah. no.
2: No, he liked to kick your ass for sure.
1: For sure, and Luke is that way now. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to see a guy in his, you know, his third year this year and say, "Hey, you know, how can he act like he's been in the league?" Well, he has been, just not in this particular league. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, I mean, job, he was dude. playing with he was playing with grown men and winning the biggest championships that you could win if you're playing professional basketball in Europe.
1: So he looks at these refs like, "I don't have to earn anything. I've been doing this." You yeah. Know, I think Jake said that a couple of years ago in his rookie year. He's like. I'm a grown man already. Treat me like one, and the rest will look at him like I don't know you. Yeah,
0: like literally. Yeah, I have no <laughs> yeah. idea who you are. And he's like, "Come on, man. Like, yeah, that, that's a, that's a tough deal." But I mean, and yeah. it, it all comes back to this. Uh, the reason I brought the whole Luca versus Dirk thing is uh, Luca did some interview, and apparently he was just not into any bit of it. But I, I, you know, I kind of was like, "Well, he's just." From Dirk, from day one, though, was the dude he who he is now. I mean, I guess he was still kind of learning English in store, so there was kind yeah. of this um, humbleness to that. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, back I,
2: and watch, I mean, if you ever – I don't know if any of them exist, but if you went back and watched some of Dirk's very, very first interviews when he still probably wasn't totally comfortable with the language and was shy, he would begin a lot of his – every answer with, well, obviously – you know, mm-hmm. he would that mm-hmm. was kind of a crutch phrase or I remember one night watching him like one of his first interviews when uh, he was on like Dale Hansen's sports special. And I think, you know, he was just nervous. And so every answer before he would even say anything, just I think to to get himself going, he would like sit there and think about his answer and go, you know, like like that. He would I mean, literally, he's like I... blowing his lips just out of some sort of nervous habit. So it took Dirk a while to find his groove, too. Um, you know, in yeah. terms of his interview, of his interview skills, if you will.
0: Yeah, well, I think he's. I, I think Luke is doing fine. I, I mean, the criticisms that they have on him right now are, I think, pretty minimal. Yes. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> with a guy who's that talented, it's kind of the uh, you're allowed to have your uh, your what is it the the fungus on your shoes and you know you're on your uh, shower shoes. I mean, that's yeah. I'm okay with it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so uh
1: from from me and my perspective, I'm like, well, Luca wouldn't be so mad at the rest if they would do a better job, and then the rebuttal I get on Twitter is, what are the rest supposed to call a foul every time he drives the lane? I said, "Yeah, yeah, basically <laughs> like, <laughs> they can't guard him, so yes, call a foul every single time,
2: yeah,
0: but Dirk eventually got those two, so
2: I he mean, did, and yeah. and look, yeah. I mean, Luca was um. I think he was third in the league in free throws attempted per game, second or third two years ago, and last year, uh, you know, he was I think maybe sixth or seventh or eighth or somewhere in that. In Let's put those numbers streak. up, refs. Yeah, so he's still getting way up there.
1: Yeah. yeah, I want more.
0: But I have to ask though. I mean, the question I,
2: is, yeah. you no, know, uh, if you're going to look at a hole in his game right now, it's can it, is he going to make them at a high enough percentage when he gets there?
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I I, I okay. Uh, other than the bitching at the refs and some other stuff. From the things that I was saw, okay, I have to admit, guys, again, it's really been hard. It's been a long road to, from 2011 to now mm-hmm. to getting back to watching the Mavs. The, the COVID, whatever the heck that was last year, that was hard. That was hard for me to watch. The bubble? The bubble. You know the, bu- the bubble games were just hard for me to watch. It was, not, it was not fun. It finally got fun because Mavs are in the playoffs. Mavs have crowds. They're just playing basketball. It, mm-hmm. That's where it got better at it. But uh, mm-hmm. kind of forgot where I was going to go with that one. Um,
2: Luca in free throws? Yes. Yeah, yeah.
0: so, yes. With Luca in the free throws, that's the only thing that I, it kind of was glaring to me. I go, he's not great at that. I mean, I don't know what it is because, it, but again, it's kind of like, well, Luca's not great at uh, interviews. Well, will he get better at that, though? Will he? Or is that just. I don't know. I, I, expl- I don't know. Explain that to well, me. As far as,
2: look, two things. as far as interviews go, I think that he, in my time of being around him, I think that he, you know, likes his teammates. And I think he doesn't like to put all the focus on himself. So I think that he defers to say things about his teammates in interviews. And I just don't think he, you know, is all into talking about himself. And he gets asked so many questions about, you know, all these milestones and things like that. And I think after a while, I mean, Lucas just realizes that, hey, and he even said it after someone asked him about his performance in game seven and the series. Uh, It's like, it doesn't matter. We didn't win. So, you know, I mean, I think some of, uh, some some of Lucas, uh, number one, it's not his first language when he's doing interviews in English.
1: Or second Uh, or third or. Yeah,
2: exactly. And, And I think sometimes he's asked so many questions about himself and I just, Frankly, don't think that's what he's really into talking about. Right. Um, as far as free throws, look, I'm no shot doctor. Um, so I can't give you like a really great breakdown of it. But if I were to throw a theory out, and I've said this on the ticket. Luca, as you guys have watched him, I think you recognize that he is in improvisational scenarios. The shot clock's winding down, the possession's going to hell in a handbasket and Luca does something incredible Uh, you have two seconds to win a game in Memphis and the ball goes into Luca and he shoots an off balance running one handed three pointer and Mm -hmm. he thrives and like I said it just everything's going to hell in a handbasket sort of scenario a free throw is not about improvisation and not about making chicken salad out of chicken shit No, it's about uh, process and routine and calming yourself down and doing things the same way every time and Um, I I think that's just you know I I think it's hard for him because I think his his skill and his you know what makes him a great player is his ability to do all the things that he does on the fly within the flow of the game and a free throw going to the free throw line is not that he can do it because he started last year I mean up until uh, remember when we had the week off for games the Mavs had the two games canceled because of the winter storm in in mid-February he was at about 79% at free throw line at that point. And then for the rest of the year, I think he shot 64, 65% for the rest of the
1: season. It looked to me like in the playoffs, especially, he got into a, a streak where he missed a few in a row. And it was almost like he would go to the line, get ready to shoot, pause, think about it, and then yeah. miss. Yeah. And it, it was like, this is just mental. This has nothing to do with his, his, his form or shooting ability. It's just all in his head because he actually has time to think about it. Like you said, Memphis you know two seconds on the clock he's not thinking about anything right he's just letting the talent flow he's on the free throw line he's thinking crap I've missed my last three I'll probably miss this one too and you while know, I misses another one
2: yeah for sure sure you know the one thing about form and again I'm no shot doctor but sometimes when he got in those bad stretches and I don't know what this this may say that he doesn't have a routine and a process is the misses sometimes would be all over the place. It's like one misses left, one misses right, one yeah. misses short, one misses long. And so um, I don't know, man. I, I just these are all just kind of my theories on it. Um, you know, and people smarter than me are gonna have to figure that out.
0: Well, interesting. Uh, I I'm confident that he can I actually am confident that he can figure this out. It just kind of like I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I needed re- reassurance that yeah, he'll maybe figure this out because because well, so I think if, I think I go with Jacob that yeah, it's a little bit of mental, but at the same time, what is the um, what is the history on that? Do you eventually get better at it, or do you kind of stay pretty stagnant or, or sure? What is well, the I mean, a, lot of of guys, a lot of
2: guys? A lot of guys drastically improved their free throw percentage over their careers. I mean, some guys. This is always why. Like, I I don't like that the league started instituting rules to try to prevent intentional fouling because there have been guys like Blake Griffin was a second year in his career. Blake Griffin shot 52% or something like that at the free throw line. And then he routinely got up to be a high seventies, low 80% guy. Um and there are plenty of other I am sorry I can't think of like some really good examples right well, that's now. That's a pretty
0: but, good one because I, I, I do remember him being pretty awful at that. So
2: Shaq yeah.
1: barbecued our ass in oh six in the finals on free throw line. So yep. there's that. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's true. That's true. So so um I mean look, if you put in the work, um, you know, you can you can get you can get better. But there are guys who it does get in their head. Um so you know, it, who knows how this is all gonna play out with him. But if it's any consolation. Three years into his career, look, in all three seasons, he shot over 70%. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think 71, 73, 73, I think, are his percentages, something like that. Each each year has been in the low 70s. Uh, That's a little bit below average. The league average this year was over 77%. But uh, remarkably, this year, in a year where he struggled at the line, uh, especially in the second half of the season, for the whole year he was still 15 out of 18 in uh, clutch free throw situations. Okay,
1: that's a good stat.
2: Yeah, last five minutes of the game when it was within five points. That's not a lot of free throws in those situations, to be honest with you. But he was 15 of 18 in free throws in those situations. Okay. But that's good.
1: We'll roll with that. All right. Should we try to fix the current Mavs?
0: Yeah. uh, Well, again, like going back to this is Mark Folliwell's second uh, appearance. We didn't have anything to talk about with the Mavs. This is the exact opposite. We have just so much going on. And um, you know Donnie Nelson's gone, Carlisle's gone, and there's this influx of this um, Bob. I just call him Bob. I don't, know, I don't. Know, I've, I've messed up his real name like 15 times, but uh, I mean, there's so much going on now. It's okay. Obviously, you gotta you gotta find your your GM first, which I right. still think they're. At the same time, I think they're probably still know who their head coach is going to be at the same time. I know they say they're going to get the GM, but I think they'll probably have that locked down regardless.
1: So you don't think they'll let the GM have a, a big say in the head coach?
0: <laughs> well, or do they already know who the GM is too? I, I think they already know. Who they, I, I don't know why they deferred to this uh, 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 worldwide uh, this this consulting group, uh, by the way, which, Jacob, you and me need to start a consulting group absolutely yeah we need with, with podcasting to... with, we'll start with podcasting was,
1: yeah podcasting consulting group yeah, yeah we that. will
0: definitely show you like cut that out no one wants to hear that do that that's right have follow on you're good
2: i um, think that, i think that there are other teams and and i can't even remember sportsology or something like that is the name of the consulting group i think there are other teams that use it and i think one of the one of the things that people like about that is that part of its its purpose is to vet candidates. And by that, uh, independently, you know, right? What's that?
0: Independently.
2: Yes, it's to vet them independently and it's also to vet backgrounds. Um, okay. Yeah. Because in the world that we live in, of course, You've you know, go there. Uh, yeah, you don't you don't want some sort of thing buried in the past to all of a sudden resurface. Uh, so so I think that's probably another part of why that you have those consult that consulting firm now? Uh, is that they're out there betting backgrounds of everybody to make sure, uh, you know, especially if you're going uh, a more inexperienced route, which I don't know what they're going to do, but let's just say that you're going for an assistant GM somewhere that you're going to promote into a GM role, somebody who's been on a, on a, in, a, in a good organization. You say, okay, this guy's learned from another good GM. Let's promote an assistant GM to be our GM. Uh, that person might not be... You know, people may not know a whole lot about his background. He's not somebody that's been in the media spotlight. So, you know, you want to vet people's backgrounds. And I think that's part of the reason why you bring in that independent consulting
1: firm. Did you see the tweet about the Steinlein report today, Mark?
2: I did. What the one he said, that said... I'm sorry?
1: What are your thoughts there?
2: I'm not surprised. So just to cover, just to make sure that we're all on yeah. the same page. Oh,
0: yeah, I was about to say. I was going to read it. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you're talking about the one where he said that... It's it's highly likely that Michael Finley will be one of a, a of a dual executive leadership for the Mavericks. Basically. Yes, it and they're be, not
1: looking at other executives like Usury or Danny Ainge. Yeah, those Isaiah guys. Jury, yeah,
2: yep, and Danny mm-hmm. Ainge. So so it says that that there would be there will be an external executive hired, and then Finley is a strong candidate to also be part of the leadership team, and so you can have a president of basketball operations um who sets the the uh, vision for you know what they want to do as a franchise and what kind of players they want to acquire and uh you know uh, how aggressive are we going to be in free agency and you know what are we going to do when it comes to draft time although they don't have a pick this year and then you can have a general manager uh who's making the phone calls and doing a lot of the legwork and stuff like that or you can flip-flop you know the the roles don't have to go with those titles you can be however you want to delineate it but point is yes i i i kind of thought all along that that's what would happen is that mike would have a role of part of the leadership team and then there would be an external executive probably somebody who's got a lot more experience and and that would be how they end up assembling the front office
0: so okay. it, to maybe put an analogy to it is it kind of like a closer by committee type kind of thing where i mean in a sense of yeah, there's this guy. He, he's the head of basketball, but then, but it's a full on group uh, process of, you know, uh, acquiring guys and everything else. I guess there's not one head.
2: Well, like if you mean, okay, if you're saying like close your by committee, does that mean that two people. Uh, you know, if Mike has contacts with an organization and he can work his contacts there and end up facilitating some sort of trade or, or uh, the, ex- the executive that comes in has contacts elsewhere or uh, has a really good relationship with an agent, so he's going to be able to have the freedom to facilitate a deal and sign somebody and they both have this ability to independently operate is that your, that's is that what I mean by closer That's, that's, basically, that's and, and,
0: basically it.
1: Yeah. That's a way better explanation than what Brad said. I <laughs> am so each dumb. Has, no, each person has
2: the <laughs> theoretically has the ability to uh, negotiate and close a deal, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what Brad meant when he said that. Uh, every sentence. bit of <laughs>
0: that I had, but I just didn't vocalize it very good. This is why I have Mark follow along. So, uh, no, I mean, but yeah, it, in a sense that I mean, it's not on one person's shoulders. I mean, here's here's how this whole thing's going to go though. It's really on one person's shoulders in a sense. It's on it's on Mark Cuban's shoulders. I mean, yeah. that's 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 really where it all goes and I know there's guys doing the legwork, you know, doing, you know, helping with scouting, doing uh, numbers and all that other stuff, and sure. obviously, you know, Mark. But at the end of the day, it all goes down to one guy. He makes yeah. these decisions. It goes, hey, right. we're gonna do this. Hey, we're gonna do that, and this guy goes yes, and this guy goes no, no. I mean, right. that, uh, it really goes down to that. I mean but as, as I say, closer by committee in a sense of it's a group, it's, it's, it's a group effort where there's not just one guy doing everything. It
1: seems like Mark Cuban is trying to accumulate enough information in the room so that he can make the best decision personnel or whatever. Well,
2: I mean, on that regard, I mean, on the search, I hope that the committee that they're putting together, which of course includes Dirk, and I don't think Dirk would come into a search committee for a general manager. If he weren't going to have the space to be able to speak his mind and his opinions be taken very seriously, right? I don't think Dirk would come in just to be, uh, just to make everybody feel good that hey, Dirk's involved in this. I don't, I don't just, I don't think he would walk away from living his best life, which he's been doing post-retirement uh, to, to be just a figurehead in a search committee. So, so hopefully, uh, I think that will be the case that he'll have a voice and everybody else will have a voice in terms of who this new person is. That's, that's part of the executive team. And then I hope that, uh, whoever they hire, uh, if somebody's going to come in here and take the job, I would hope that they would be given, uh, significant powers, obviously to be able to operate however they want to operate in terms of charting the course for the team and the vision for the team.
1: It's going to be interesting. I, hope,
2: I mean, I, you know, I, I think if you're going to bring in an external executive uh, that is someone that uh, this this consulting firm that's going to sign off on uh, everybody else that's on your own organizational committee that includes Derek, if they're going to sign off on. I would hope that that would be somebody who is a respected enough figure that he'll have the freedom to be uh you know not look obviously an owner is going to rubber stamp moves because there are financial ramifications to it but i would hope that this this new general manager and the new leadership team is going to have the freedom to be able to make the right kind of deci- to make their own decisions well
0: i mean sorry <laughs> i had my mic off but um yeah i i i had hope that's i feel like that can work in a sense where I mean, I think the criticism that Mark gets is that he's, hey, man, I'm just the owner, where he's really kind of like uh, Jerry Jones, where he's being GM, but he just didn't want the title. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of the criticism that I've seen, and I would say I kind of understand, in a sense. Um,
2: you can say what you want, by the way. You don't have to soften <laughs> I, mean.
0: I hate that guy. No, I mean, <laughs> no, i mean, I. I'm just Sorry, before me and Mark had a had a conversation. I was like, "How yes. much can I? How much can I trash Cuban?" But uh, no, he said,
2: peel, peel, we'll, we'll peel back the curtain." You asked me beforehand, and this is your show, and you have the right to say whatever you want to say, and you know. I have the right to agree, disagree, the... <laughs> defer, say nothing, whatever, man. Get on, show, ph- man. Not, get on the I'm phone. Get on the phone, Mark. I'm not going Mark. to sit here and tell you. Uh, please treat me like a little baby with kid gloves. No,
0: it's because I care, and I don't. Yeah, it's because I care, and I. I have I so much respect for you, and I. I, I would never want to put you I, in precarious. I, just, uh, I, appreciate, position. That. And, and, I appreciate that, and that. but I, I I think it's in a sense of like Mark. I mean you. Sorry, not you, Mark, but the other the other Mark. Like, hey, just put this in the hands of people who know what the hell they're doing. And I'm not saying it's a sense of rubber stamp, but I mean, like, really don't put... I mean, I will criticize the Finley uh, hire if it's a, you know, hey, man, it's a guy I really trust or whatever. I don't really care who you trust. I want a guy who I know is going to really put the team in the best position, not in a in a position that i want you know like obviously what it says in that in that uh stein line is that these guys are not going to be uh, are not going to lead the uh the front office because they're going to have autonomy and
2: well and i think and i think i didn't read uh that part of it i, just I mean saw this the, is I, what it says right here it okay, says
0: it says uh uh, I'm sorry, I'm I'm gonna butcher this guy's name, but he's from Toronto, <laughs> Masai Ujiri. Yeah, uh, and Danny Ainge from Boston are not are not basically going to be uh, considered because uh, they want more autonomy, and that Cuban is, you know, is willing to see. So those guys are out because Mark Cuban's gonna be like, no, you can't have the entire team and do everything you want. This is still my team. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's just flat out say yeah. what it is. I mean, and the things that people have been pissed off about Cuban is because can, can I say one thing? Before go ahead. We go go any ahead. Go one, ahead. Of,
2: one of the other things too, about Messiah jury that my understanding is, is that in whatever situation he goes into, he wants equity. He wants an ownership stake in whatever team. And, 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 so, for, and for
0: that I'm out. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> for, for real, I, for my understanding, yeah, okay. and obviously I don't personally know him. I've never talked to him, but my, my, Internet reading has has basically been that whatever situation he's in, whether it's staying with Toronto or going somewhere else, is he wants uh, some sort of equity ownership stake in a team.
0: Okay. Well, that's interesting. But uh, Danny Ainge also, uh, I would – is there any uh, again? I don't know what his ousting was. Is there a black? Uh, not whoa, whoa I'm, I'm like a black mark on his record because of his ousting or anything I like that.
2: No, I think he's been. Look, he's been with Boston a long time. Um, I think that if anybody, you know, that any any criticism of Danny Ainge was that. Uh, For a while, he was winning so many trades that supposedly people were, like, really wary of actually doing a deal and trading with him. (laughs) But then, you know, the other thing is that, uh, you know, they accumulated a lot of draft picks and then sat on them for a while and were really reluctant to make moves because I think that they were so consumed with, well, we have to make sure to win the trade. And so I guess, uh, you know, just they had so much draft capital from that Brooklyn deal back in 2013. Remember that deal where Boston traded Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Jason Terry to Brooklyn and got three first round picks and the right to swap picks and a couple of other drafts or something like that. And look, they came out of it with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown out of that. And so those two guys players. Yeah. I mean, those two guys are the centerpieces of a team that went to the conference finals a couple of years ago, but then the team's taken steps backwards since then. And I, I think maybe the, The view on Ainge is that maybe he didn't maximize all of the assets that they had. And then people who cover the Celtics would probably be able to give you a much better detailed step by step explanation of it than I could. But from a distance, what I've read is that, yeah, that's at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, the team's been taking steps backwards. Um, You know, this year they barely, I think they finished 500, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, And so they barely got into the playoffs and they got bounced pretty quickly in the first round. And yeah, that, that the feeling was that they accumulated an enormous amount of asset capital okay. and then didn't maximize it as much as they possibly could have. And the fact that probably it was just quite frankly, like here, maybe it was just time for a time change for a change. Okay. Right.
0: Okay. Well, I feel like we've, we've hit the GM, uh, yeah. portion. I mean, we fixed I, the maps. We fixed the maps on the, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, it really doesn't matter. I mean. At the end of the day, sure. Mark Cuban's going to do what he wants to do. And if, and if he feels comfortable with Finley and he feels like he can start a group uh, head executives that can make the Mavs and Mike, successful that's time. And,
2: and Mike's already been in a role where he's been part of the decision-making process in the front office. I think, for example, he had a heavy hand in selecting Jalen Brunson in the draft a couple of years ago, for example. I think that's one move that uh, you know the reporting on that has been that that was a significantly pushed-for move by Mike. Uh, back yeah. in the 2018 draft with that with that pick early in the second round,
1: oh, but look worked.
2: Look, before we get to the well, uh, I guess you're wanting to transition into coaching, and all of and coaching ties into having good players, and so there is something I want to say on that here in a little bit. But but let's let's skip to whatever it is that you want to get to right now.
1: Oh well, no, <laughs> well, I, I let me ask a question about that real quick. Did you hear Jake and Dan last week talking about that perhaps Carlisle comes from? Kind of an old school way of coaching that modern day players um, I guess Gen Z or whatever they don't they don't really uh relate to it's 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 that hard ass I'm gonna I'm gonna dog you in front of your teammates and, and a lot of these um younger coaches that are relating to today's NBA player a little more on the soft side you know they're still hard but they they, they relate better to the players did you hear that segment at all?
2: Um, I did not hear that segment. I was okay. on. Well, I was, was on holiday.
1: The recap of it. Yeah,
2: it's I was awesome. on holiday in Mexico last week.
1: For, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. even better than listening. So, to well, it. let's I hurry up so we can get to Saloon Talk.
2: <laughs> the Sports Day so, so Talk app does not is. work in Mexico. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not hear the segment, but yeah, they but, were
1: basically speculating whether. Okay, you know we love Rick, but perhaps it was time just because you know maybe Rick's way of doing things just doesn't translate to. Um, this generation of NBA players that's coming up
0: well uh, let me I'm gonna let you finish mark but I, I yeah. think what my criticism again of of mark uh, Cuban the other one um, is again that he's just frankly he's just a bullshitter and I'm like okay if you if you have a problem and you know there's a problem everyone will be like obviously we probably need a change and we would probably be frank with it it's kind of like a doctor going. Yeah, I don't know, man. You're probably gonna die. It's it's. I hate to be man, there are bad news. You know, I would almost appreciate that doctor than a doctor who's bullshitting me, going, you know, if we have one more surgery, we might be able to get this thing. You know, where, you know, I think that's again what what Mark Cuban had a problem with, and I think he got a huge criticism with with this Tim Cato uh, article. Was he was just calling it bullshit, and I'm like, well, is it bullshit, or do we really have issues here? And like, let's address them. It's not a big deal. Like, and then whenever it's kind of the uh, the cover ups worse than the crime kind of thing. Like, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying this is a cover up, but I'm saying in the sense of, you know, everything's fine. And then your GM leaves, and then your coach leaves. (laughs) Everything's not really fine, and it's not. (laughs) You can't pretend like it's fine.
2: Well, look, a lot of ground to cover with all of that. I thought your recap, Jacob, was good about that segment last week. So what I would say to that is I, I'm not going to sit there and say that there's not merit to that thought process. You know, Rick is going to be 62 years old later this year. Wow. Um, you know, I do know that Papa in, his, in his case, he was trying to make changes. Uh, I've heard him talk in interview sessions before about watching uh you know studying psychology things and watching documentary he he told us about some documentary that he watched and called in search of greatness and it you know it profiled high level athletes and dealing with high level athletes and you know look when it came to luca i mean i don't think you could argue that i mean he gave luca an enormous amount of freedom you yeah. know if, if if there were if there are personality clashes and look we all saw that luca would get mad about certain things and he, he got. He got very mad about the timeout in the in the fourth quarter of Game uh, Six, as he should have. I thought that was a, I did not like that decision, and I, I well, thought. Can that, I
1: interject a little more information before you finish? Yeah, uh, sure. the The big example they cited was uh, Luca wasn't so much upset about how he was treated, but how Rick would treat other players, like his good friend Salamezri.
2: They said, yeah, "Okay," uh, and and I guess I did hear maybe the hard line brought that up.
1: Uh, oh, I didn't hear that, but yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that, that's what Luca's, that, that's where they speculate Luca's beef was. Not so much how Rick treated him, the superstar, but, you know, his, like, like you said earlier, um, Luca loves his teammates and his teammates love him. So yeah. when he sees Rick just dogging solemn that may not sit well with, with Luca, despite well, how not- he's treated personally.
2: I can't speak to personal knowledge of that, but as as and I'm so glad you said and quoted what I said earlier because I was going to go the same thing. It's like you know, uh, Luca does have great respect for his teammates, so you know that he could have uh, developed some animosity about that. Sure, I mean I think that that's certainly a possibility. I can't speak to whether or not it whether it is or isn't true, but I think that that's not um, you know an out of bounds direction to go in terms of assessing this whole situation and assessing the dynamic of it.
0: All right. To my stuff now.
2: (laughs) Sure. Okay. But, 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 you know, is is, has the game passed Rick by or at least the relationship aspect of it? I mean, I don't know. It's going to pass everybody by at some point. I mean, you know, um, but I don't know if that's the case with Rick here. Um, you know, it's hard to be in one place for a long period of time. And, right. uh, and have everybody still listen to that one voice. You know, the fact that he, you know, has been here as long as he has and Spolster in Miami and pop in San Antonio and Sloan, as long as he was in Utah. I mean, that's, that's a long time to be in one place. And, and I don't
1: think they concluded one way or another. It was just, you know, filling a segment speculating. And they said, if that's the case, then it's probably good. We're going a different direction. ahead head coach. Well, look, was-
2: I mean, I've got a lot of my own, spe- I mean, you know, I mean, sure. if we're, if we're throwing speculation out, I mean, one of the things one of the things that Damaris and I have talked about on our podcast is that going into this year, so Rick's going to have two years, Rick had two years left on his deal going. So this was going to be, had he been here, this was going to be a very big referendum year on Rick. Yep. Because when you get to the last year of your contract, uh, you don't want to be, nobody wants to coach in a lame duck situation. Right. So you either get rid of the coach with a year left on his deal, or you give him an extension. And, and, you know, look at how distracting it was when Nelly, remember way back in 2003, yes. I don't know if you guys remember that, but yes. Nelly coached a year on the last year of his deal. And man, it was a distraction all year long. And then the Mavs went to the conference finals. And so he got a new deal. Um, and so Nelly's Fertitta,
1: not the kind of guy to just stay coy about that either.
2: Yeah, that's exactly. a great point. <laughs> so it did that with Mike D'Antoni and then that year ended and D'Antoni, you know, moved on, uh, and didn't come back at that point. So, This was going to be a really big referendum season on Rick and maybe after being here 13 years, maybe he didn't feel like he needed to be put in a position where he was going to be on a hot seat all year long, especially with the new general manager. And I've said this in other interviews, I'm sure that if he listens to me say this, he would say. Well, follow. Will, I'm always under the. I'm always under the microscope. I'm always under pressure. I'm always being evaluated. That's just part of the business. However, he was going to be more under pressure, more under the microscope, more evaluated than normal, in my humble opinion, this year. And maybe you know, I, I'm sure this would be never be something he would admit publicly. Uh, you know, it, but maybe he just didn't want to deal with that.
0: Get him on the phone right now. We'll
2: figure
1: it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's no. knock it all
2: out tonight. <laughs> I'll, I'll send him a text. We'll yeah, see if he gets I mean, I,
0: I mean, it's it's. For a guy like that, though, I mean, okay, I, I can't get myself in Carlisle's shoes, but you're like, I've already won a title. I mean, obviously, you would be fine to wear, win more titles, yeah. but be like, yeah, there's probably not going to be, there's, oh, I've, I've squeezed all the juice out of this one. I think it's probably just, I mean, I wouldn't even, it's not a big deal at the end of the day. Like, it's not a big deal to leave. Yeah, you true. know,
2: especially especially considering he said in a statement, I'm looking forward to the next chapter of my coaching career, and obviously this is a really good off season. Yeah, uh, I know it was, it it was, it was so
0: great the way he put it. Yeah. He goes, "Yeah, I'm just not going to coach here." Like no big deal. <laughs> All
2: right. You know, look look from from my perspective on it too, and I think why I don't know if you guys heard when I was on with Corby and Bob last week. I, I heard it. Yeah, and, and those and Corby was like, well, you know, don't you think this is gonna be something that's super positive? And number one, man, I have no freaking idea if it is or not. I mean, this right. may turn out it's, to be great it's and blow you know, up
0: in our faces. Yeah, you know, it may right? be
2: shitty. Who knows? Yeah. I, I don't know how it's gonna turn out. But but for me, I'm just not at the whole like feeling super positive about it yet because I have personal relationships with those guys. And I'm gonna have, you know, hopefully good personal relationships with whoever the next people that come in are. But, but Donnie was very good to me over the course of 20 plus years. Rick was really good to me over the course of 13 years. And not just me, but everybody in our broadcasting wing of things, Coop and Harp and Skin and everybody. You know, Rick treated us with a lot of respect and a lot of trust, to be perfectly honest. We got to watch practices and shoot arounds some of the time. And there are a lot of NBA coaches who don't do that. So I appreciate how he treated me and the relationship that we had. So it's hard to see people like that walk away and then the second thing about it is, when a new GM comes in, a new GM is going to have a lot of his people who he's going to want in certain positions and the and the organization, which means people who occupy those current positions may not have a job with the Mavericks anymore. And the same thing for a new head for a new head coach potentially. Now you know they may elevate Jamal Mosley, which would be fantastic. I love Jamal. I think that would be a great choice as the head coach. So maybe a lot of things would stay the same in terms of player development, assistant coaches, et cetera, et cetera. But Uh, You know, the domino effect of moves like this is that it could impact a lot of people within the organization. And when you have personal relationships with people, then it impacts you a little bit more because I'm not on the outside looking in and all. You know, if you're a fan, I get it. You're thinking about results of the team. And I just want my team to be as good as they possibly can. And let's win another title as soon as possible. And let's you know, if this moves us down the road, then that's all I'm thinking about. And I think that'll be great if this moves us down the road in that direction. But right now, it's just still kind of hard to wrap my head around that because you're yeah. still going to be, um, for lack of a better term, collateral damage uh, in terms of you know probably some more changes that are going to happen because of all this, and that's going to make me sad.
0: This is yeah. this is the damn sport that you're in. I mean, it's yeah. it's a it's I, part of it. Yeah. No, I I really actually really liked your note. I thought it was uh, if you look on Instagram, Mark put this. Long damn thing about uh, <laughs> Carlisle. Yeah. Gravity is not my strong suit. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, no. I think it was it was great because I think it it you know it personalizes a lot of these things. Like, like uh, we can sit here and bitch and moan about oh we need to have a new offense. We need to yeah. do better in drafting and all this stuff. But it's like well. I love Donnie Nelson, and like as a legitimate like, I like I like the guy, and Carlisle was really good to us, and you know I think that uh, it puts a little bit more humanity into where sure. we just go we get rid of them and we need to shut yeah, yeah, over, yeah. and it's like well there's well, there's yeah. more to it. I mean there's yeah.
2: And I have a great relationship with those guys, but that also doesn't mean that I'm not going to say to y'all, like I said earlier, I think Rick made a mistake calling a timeout with 7:17 left in the fourth quarter of game six when we were up by one and just got the ball back off an offensive foul by the Clippers. I don't understand why we called a timeout then, and neither did Luca, because you can see him in the huddle pounding his fist it's- on his leg, saying, you called a timeout and we don't need it. You know, you could see how upset he was. Yeah. Um, I think it was a mistake to take Luca out of the game and to do the normal rotation when you're up 30 to 11 in game three. And that let the Clippers right back in the game. And that was arguably the catastrophic moment of the series. Yep. Um, I think Dwight Powell should have played more in this series. Yep. I don't understand why that didn't happen. So, you know, there are friendships and there are relationships with with those people, but I'm also enough of an honest professional. To, and I, I think that my opinion about it Uh, not that they're asking me how to coach the team, but I think that I can at least state my opinions and, you know, back them up and then be respected. And people say, well, gosh, we know, why did my Paul don't feel that way about Carlisle and Some of his coaching moves. It's like, you know, the guy's not infallible, but he's still a hell of a coach and, you know, a guy who I had a good relationship with. And I think he's going to help whatever the next franchise is that he's going to go to. And we'll see what happens with us.
1: As we uh, start to wrap up um, pretty soon, my last thing is on that note. With your relationship with Rick and or Donnie, do you have any fun, interesting, semi untold stories about either of them from y'all's days together? Um, going back to celebrating a championship, or I don't know anything.
2: Just uh, you know, and we started late, so we have we have more time. You know, we have a little bit more time here, so we're not. But 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 Mark is
0: granting us time because we have we have audio. Cluster yeah. F, <laughs> we
2: well, had we like had we Will get audio ups on this. Yeah, Clippers yeah. <laughs> and
1: Sons, game two. So, breaking it down.
2: So, uh, look, Rick took Coop and I and was extremely generous, by the way. I mean, uh, I can assure you that there were times that Coop and I tried to pay and it was never allowed. So, Rick, you know, took Coop and I to some some dinners and lunches on the road and you know and, and harp and skin were part of that at times as well but but you know like there was I, I guess probably one of the funniest stories would be that you know when it came to phones a long time ago i was a pretty slow mover in how i transitioned from the flip phone era of cell phones into the smartphone era of cell phones huh. and so we were at Ruckers in san antonio and I think I had bought like a BlackBerry Bold or something like that on or some sort of some sort of BlackBerry. I had bought it on eBay.
0: Give me a year. Yeah. Just so I, I can
1: 2009. Maybe, okay. maybe even 2010. Right around the first iPhone, right? No, no. Yeah.
0: I mean that would be like iPhone 2 or 3 maybe. We were getting really?
1: there. Yeah, okay, maybe so, yeah. Well, I had a I had a BlackBerry,
2: uh, but it was, you know, it was a pretty old BlackBerry. And so somehow the phone was out on the table and he started looking at, looking at that and it's like, what is this? This thing, you know, it's like this thing looks like a fucking sundial, you know? <laughs> and, and it's just, yeah, yeah. That. And, and so the, like, uh, for the rest of dinner, it's like, you have got to get rid of this. You know, th- you know, this is what you need to think about, you know, here's like a black, and he was a BlackBerry guy too. He ended up giving that up. And so then maybe about a year later, another discussion about phones came up and he goes look you've got to get rid of the blackberry thing man and i think i upgraded blackberries since then and got a you know a much more modern one and he started talking up samsung galaxies and um you know so at that point you know a few weeks later it's like hey rick here's my galaxy that i just got so um and then we were at a dinner probably two or three years ago and we were talking about phones and you know this it may be even the phone that i have right now the the i have an s10 maybe this is still on the s8 i don't know which which one it was but he grabbed it's like well i don't why do you have your your apps are so disorganized i don't understand why you have your apps like this and don't you realize that you can put like your frequent you can put like a uh uh on your, on your touch screen, you know, you can put people that you call the most, you can put a picture of them and then you can just call them or text them that way. Why do you have to go to your contacts or your most recent calls or something like that? I don't understand what you're doing here. So, and it's just like, he could not stand it that I wasn't doing it. In my phone, the way he thought I should be doing my phone. So it was, uh, you know, those are some funny stories. Are from you about
0: the- to tell us that you have an S 10?
2: Yeah. 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 Galaxy S 10. We- Is that bad?
0: Are we on twenty? Or I th- <laughs> no? I thought you were mainstream, Mark.
2: This is. <laughs> I got this. So I got this phone two years ago. This is oh, a, this okay. a May of 2019 phone.
0: I have to admit, I went back to iPhone, so I'm a little, uh, I'm a little behind on that. But God, what, what, what Samsung are they on right now?
2: I don't know what Galaxy we're on right now, but, but, <laughs> but uh, you know. And then sometimes it would be like when we were at a pizza place in Houston one night, and he's like. You know uh, what? What, what uh, you guys listen to country music very much, and you know, Coop and I were like, no, nah, I mean, not really. I mean, I like some of the older stuff. It's like, well, you guys, you guys start got to start listening to like Miranda Lambert. You know, you guys, you wouldn't believe like how good her Four, music is. Five. She has so much energy in her music, and and just there's so much passion in the way she sings. You guys, you know, I've been listening to her lately. You guys got to start listening to Miranda Lambert. So, and there were, I mean, you know, he loved the Grateful Dead.
0: Huh, He's uh, a deadhead.
2: Yeah, yeah. So his first, so uh, his first date with his wife was at a Grateful Dead concert in Boston. Yes,
1: where supposedly, it's, <laughs> that's, where that's... supposedly,
2: like Bill Walton left him the tickets, and it all worked <laughs> out. He said, "Okay, you know, all that, right, that, all that right." Bill Walton arranged for the tickets to get left for for Rick and his wife to be on their particular date. We, and I heard a story about that. And it just. Rick comes um, off
0: as the like, okay, I read a book of like, uh, Eric Clapton. I know Eric Clapton is already like a, a legend in himself, but he, he, he talked of a story of like, yeah, I, w- I was in a bar and then, uh, the Beatles just wandered in and they had the, I can't remember what album that they had. They had, maybe it was the, you know, what's the, uh, it's not the white album, but maybe it's the one after that. And we're like, yeah, and we just uh, sat and listened to the Beatles album and dropped acid. And I feel like I feel like Carlisle has those those stories where he's just hanging out with Bill Walton and and all whatever you know Larry Bird or something like that. He is. And, just...
2: Jerry, and Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead <laughs> yeah. shows up and.
0: I mean that. <laughs> uh he he's he's an under underrated guy vince, around Mel, here vince
2: melnick is there yeah you know the late vince melnick shows up or something like that and...
0: yeah for sure okay can we can we
2: can we he was before f- but he was into the dead after ronald pigpen mckernan of course we can't forget you know to make some sort of reference to the all
0: right jacob uh, give me three minutes two minutes <laughs> on pigpen <laughs>
2: yeah give me give me give me two minutes on ronald pigpen mckernan Jacob. Yeah,
1: I got nothing.
2: <laughs> he was a keyboard player for the Dead way back when, and then he
1: left us far too soon. Give you three seconds. I about to say Jerry Garcia.
0: <laughs> name another uh Grateful Dead guy.
1: I can't. Okay. I only Jerry Garcia because of a cross Canadian Ragweed song way back in the day. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But look,
2: Rick was a guy with a lot of you know had a lot of personality and a lot of depth to him and a lot of interest of things. And no oh, man the the conversations were good. You know and, and he was uh you know uh i i wrote in my little thing that you saw on instagram i mean yeah. like I, I don't know why coop showed him the picture of my busted up face that i had sent him from my bike wreck i'm <laughs> i don't know why he did that but he did and rick is like texting he's like coop just showed me the picture man are you okay what's going on what happened I'm, how are you doing and you know uh, there was a very very warm personal genuine side with both of those guys uh obviously you know you have an exterior in that business you know a lot of people are coming at you and they want a lot of things from you and so it takes time to penetrate that exterior but those guys were you know once you've done that i think with a lot of us around the maps i would all we would all say that we were treated well by rick and donnie both
1: yeah as long as you're interviewing them on the ticket <laughs> no. Oh my god.
0: Uh, can we talk about the the best ticket moment for carlisle it was it was Sean Bass's question? Yeah. No. Just, know,
1: no. Man. <laughs> <laughs> some others, man. There's some others that's real. Uh,
0: that that's got to be top whatever. Top one. I don't know. Okay. So uh, we're getting into coaching. Uh you know, obviously, we have Jamal. Mo. Yeah, yeah. Can you give, give me like a few minutes on Jamal? Mo. I'm, I'm for guys like me who uh we pass Rick Carlisle, we don't know those other guys on the bench.
2: So, Jamal's been an assistant with the Mavs since 2014. Um, he played college basketball at Colorado, he played professionally in Europe. Uh, he never played in the NBA, but he did play professionally for several seasons in Europe, and then he was, and I, I think. I, I, forgive me for, for forgetting I think Milwaukee was the team that he was an assistant at before he came to us but I'm not 100 sure on that I don't remember but he joined the Mavs in 2014 and he's worked his way up from being a player development assistant coach that level like behind the bench you know like the front row guys on the bench this year were Jamal uh, Zach Guthrie and Mike Weiner um, and then you have other assistant and then you have several other assistant coach and those but you're only allowed three assistant coaches to sit with the head coach on the front row. Um, So he was a back row assistant coach when he started and several years ago, moved up to the front row and primarily has been in charge of working on defensive game plans and things like that. But he also works out players. And so he has a really good relationship with Luca. And whenever Rick had that false positive COVID test before the New York game in early April, Jamal found out about two hours before the game, he was going to coach the team and, you know, the team won the game. And the locker room afterwards went bananas whenever Jamal walked in there. And they're like dousing water all over him and, you know, jumping around and bouncing, you know, it's like a mosh pit kind of thing in there. And so I think he's, well, I don't think, I know he's extremely thought of extremely well by the team, Luca in particular, and the rest of the team. And so I think that would be an overwhelmingly popular choice within a locker room to promote him. There are obviously differences when you move from, one when you move one chair over to the big chair there are obviously differences and you know he could be with Luca for example he could be sort of a filter um You know, the head coach is like, I'm frustrated with the head coach and Jamal could say, well, look, this is what he's trying to get across and this is what he's trying to accomplish and this is what he wants and et cetera, et cetera. And he can't do that. You know, now that he's the head coach, somebody else is going to have to be that filter. The relationship changes between everybody. So there's challenges to that. But it's obviously worked in plenty of other instances. And he's a great basketball man and he's a heck of a guy. And yeah, I would I would support that fully.
0: Heck of a guy. Yeah, yeah, well he he is the he is the favorites on Odd Shark. So
2: Interesting. Okay.
0: Yeah, he's he's uh minus, uh one ten. What do you think, Jacob?
1: Yeah, that's um you know, it's funny when, when that happened early in the season, like you were talking about Mark, um I that's I honestly started to wonder about Rick right then. You know, I said <laughs> like, No, I, I, I think I predicted yeah. it. I was like if if uh, they are looking to start thinking about going a different direction, I wonder if this guy would be the next guy in line.
2: As you should. I mean, look, he's he was getting—he's gotten head coach interviews in other, with other organizations for head coach openings in each of the last two offseasons. And he is, I assume, still going to have an interview with Boston this offseason. I mean, that's the last I heard. That was over a week ago that it was reported he was going to have an interview with the Celtics. So I assume that that would still be the case. You know, okay. unless 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 it's been communicated to him, uh, you know, you're the guy. You're going to be the guy here, and just be patient. You know, we got to you know get the new GM in here and get him all on board with that and whatever. But but you know, who knows?
0: And second on the list is Becky Hammond. Um, oh. Do you think there's even an outside? I know she's a finalist in the Portland job right now.
2: Yes, that is correct. Oh, man, I've
0: done my research today. Yeah, um, you're all on it. <laughs> um, do you think that's a possibility? at all
2: um yes but i don't think it's a strong possibility okay yeah i, I mean, think that... I, 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 my 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 feeling on it which uh a lot of my feelings on things have been wrong before but if i were to guess right now who the top candidates are um you know i, I would lean towards people who have connections to the maps um jamal mosley who's obviously been here who's obviously here um terry stotts and jason kidd Oh. You know, those would be...
0: I have to I have to admit, I don't know the jury, uh, Terry Stotts connection.
2: So he was an assistant coach on the championship team.
0: No shit. All right. Yeah. Cool. So,
2: yeah so Rick came here. Okay. When Rick came here in 2008, his lead assistants were Terry Stotts and Dwayne Casey.
0: And by the way, Becky Hammond and Terry Stotts are tied in odds. Really? Yes, that's what they have right now. But I mean, uh,
2: so so tell me the odds. I'm curious.
0: Uh, so Terry Stotts at plus six hundred. I mean, uh, so in order. Uh, so Becky Hammond and Terry Stotts are at plus six hundred. Okay. They're they're tied. Jason Kidd is at plus eight hundred. Um, <laughs> God, I hate what's this Jamal? Yeah, Jamal what's is Jamal? at uh, at a uh, minus one ten. He's the well, overall he's a, favorite. He's a clear favorite. He's the clear favorite.
2: Are Becky Hammond and Stott second and third?
0: Second, uh, they're tied for second. Okay. Okay. Um, Jason Kidd's at eight, uh, eight hundred. You know, for third, I guess. But uh, uh, man, I, I'm sorry. I don't know what this guy's name is. Uh, Ami Udoka.
2: Ime Udoka. So he's an assistant coach on Popovich's <laughs> staff in Canada,
1: Jacob's laughing at me. Yeah, I've never heard of him either. Okay. So he
2: played. He played for several years in the league. And he's an assistant on Pop staff, and he's considered, uh, you know, he he's going to be a head coach in the not-too-distant future. Whether or not it's this year or not, I don't know. But he's, uh, you know, he's he's a sought-after assistant coach. It,
0: it seems like he's got long odds, but okay, it's interesting to hear who the hell he is. And Yeah, I'll probably you,
1: just put my money on Jamal. Yeah,
0: and the rest for John Calipari and, and D'Antoni, so...
1: So,
2: D'Antoni would be interesting. Uh, you know, I don't think they'll go that way because he's 70 years old. Yeah. But did you, you imagine D'Antoni running an offense with Luca as the lead guard?
0: No, that would be really cool because, okay, you try it, and then it doesn't work, and then you go mm-hmm. with something else. It, it's really – I'm, I'm just honest with but this. you don't have time for that. I, I know you yeah. don't, but I feel like this seems like an Avery hire in the sense of, like, let's uh, – we're getting from a longtime coach – so get Avery in here, and then then right. we're gonna really find the dude. That's that's literally just how I feel. I know I'm I'm going off of. Well, they of, can't
2: be. The clock's ticking. Man. I know the clock. Yeah. Yeah. the clock is ticking because of, it's of a different Luke.
1: circumstance. Yeah. And you know, one thought that came to my Good mind as soon as I heard the Rick news, I was like, "This makes me excited for KP next year." Okay, Not that I, have it was to, I have to Rick's ask,
0: why, why is the clock ticking though?
2: Because he sign, he's about to sign his, his extension. And then he's oh. going to have a time when he would be an unrestricted free agent.
1: Okay, okay, okay.
2: And okay. so We're when he's an unrestricted free agent. A
1: trade if he wanted to.
2: Yeah, so, so you could have a, you know, it can go any number of ways. It what's can go the, the, what's Giannis, the
0: timeline for, for Luca, really?
2: Um, well, before I get to that, so it could go okay, the Giannis go way, which is Giannis was eligible for his Supermax extension after seven years. And he decided to sign it and stay in Milwaukee. But if he had not signed it, then clearly that would have meant that this would have been this could have been his free agency year, or they might have had to trade him. Right. And look at what Anthony Davis did in New Orleans. Anthony yep. Davis forced his way out. So at some point, six or seven years, or six to eight years into having a player of Luca, Anthony Davis, Giannis, whatever, the crossroads is gonna come where you've either gotta have yeah, yeah, yeah. a championship contending team built and the guy wants to stay there, or you don't and the player may force his way out. Yep.
0: Very so that's point. why the clock that's is ticking very good point very good so, point.
2: so the extension that luca will sign will be one of two things he can sign a five-year extension um, ah. that's worth i think 201 million dollars now it w- he would sign it this off season and then it would kick in next year okay it would kick in for the 2022, 20- 2023 season gotcha okay so he'll do one of two things he'll either sign a four-year with uh, he'll sign a five-year deal and the fifth year is a player option or he'll sign a four-year deal and the fourth year is a player option. The reason he would do that is it would put him on the marketplace in 2025, which is when all the TV contracts are up. So, therefore, the new TV contracts, which will probably have a pretty exorbitant uh, rights fee increase. And so, therefore, the salary cap will jump big that offseason. And that would be a really opportune time to be a free agent who would be eligible for wow. a max salary, which at that t- point in time, depending on how many all-NBA selections he has, could be 35% of the cap. So so the, the, bus- the, the smart business move is a four-year deal with the fourth year as an option and become a free agent in 2025. He may decide, I don't want to accelerate things quite like that. I don't want to have to think about that a year too soon. I'll still make a shit ton of money in 2026, (laughs) which you will, obviously. (laughs) And so, you know, I'll sign a five-year deal, and the fifth year will be a player option. So it'll be one of those two things, I assume.
0: Okay. That makes sense. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Again, basketball dumb guy over here. Sorry. On the dumb podcast. On the dumb podcast. There you go. He gets it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, okay so let's okay i have to i have to The
2: you, ref- funny. i forgot to tell you guys the funny coach story i was going to tell you so Before. like yeah the, the the funny nelly story so my first game i ever did was and i always appreciated this from nelly so march 4 2000 in san antonio at the alamo dome i was you know the first game i got to do radio play by play as a fill-in and the PR guy for the Mavs at the time, Greg Elkin, walks me into the locker room before the game, because I have to do the pregame radio interview, you know, that's a four or five minute interview with Nelly. And I had, you know, been to practices, and Nelly might have known my face, but he damn sure didn't know my name or anything like that. So, you know, Greg introduces me and says, hey, you know, he's filling in for Matt Pinto tonight, so he's going to do the interview. And, and you know, he's all like, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. You know, good deal. And he goes, well, um, I need to go, uh, you know, I'm going to get a cup of coffee. He goes, you got any whiskey to put in my coffee or anything like that? It's like, no, well, uh, if I were going to do that, Nellie, I'm more of a tequila guy. So that, that would be what I would want. He's like, oh, okay. And he goes, well, uh, wait here for me. I got to go run and take a piss and then I'll be right back. And then we'll do the interview. And so the fact that he was just saying all this stuff about, you know, going to the bathroom <laughs> and whiskey in his coffee, I think in my mind, I felt like that that was him being like real, like just lo- loosey-goosey and fun and saying funny stuff. Cause I'm sure he sensed, here's this kid, he's probably nervous as hell. And so he just did all this goofy stuff to try to like kind of lighten the mood. And I always like, that's that's a funny coach story that I have. And I've never forgotten it obviously now, 21, 22 years later. That sounds so appreciated that. Yeah, I always appreciate that because I felt like it was just, you know, it was, it was his way of trying to make the situation uh, as easy as possible for somebody who I'm sure he sensed was very, very nervous about it.
1: Well, hang on, tequila and the coffee, huh? Well, no, he was well, more
2: of a tequila drinker than he I. He just said he drink.
1: would do tequila.
2: It's just oh,
1: just okay. Yeah, just separate yeah. from the coffee. Okay. But there yeah, is something you know. Have you ever heard of a Mexican coffee? It's a tequila yeah, coffee? No, I think I'm about to have my world turned upside down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark was just at Tulum, so I'm sure he had a couple of those
1: yeah uh,
2: a few sips of mezcal not many tequilas or anything like that no, so you,
0: you've got to have a yeah that's where yeah. It, it usually is so let me uh read from a guy uh everybody knows rylan right
2: rylan Rowe. rylan oh, yeah, i'm sorry yes of course so mm-hmm.
0: i'm gonna read just a, a little bit off of his because i think this really in, encapsulates kind of how a lot of folks are feeling um Uh, this isn't a, uh, this is from him. Uh, This isn't about having an outspoken analytics guy. It's about having a guy so widely disliked that it came out in the media about having ambiguous, uh, sorry, FO structure. I'm sorry. Front office. Front office (laughs) structure. (laughs) And about uh, failing to evaluate 30 year old global pro basketball lifers versus Twitter gambling dork that goes on podcasts. By the way, uh, Will, will he come
2: on the podcast? Oh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I'm guessing no. <laughs>
0: okay, uh, but I may I may turn out to be too anxious about all this. But I'm really on a good streak, being right about the wrong things. So I want an opinion. Let me know. Embarrassingly, I hope Ryland appreciates this. But uh, uh, Mr. Bob Vulgaris, what are your thoughts on him? And is he still with the team? Is he going to be part of the team? Because it seems. That I know, it's it's kind of a uh, a common denominator thing with him. That he was brought in, and then a mass Texas comes on with the GM yeah. and the head coach.
2: So I have no idea what his future is with the organization. I know that the reporting said that his contract was up and, you know, we'll see if he's going to be with the organization moving forward. I don't have the slightest idea okay. whether he is or isn't going to be. Um, my face-to-face interactions with Bob over the last time that he's been with the Mavs have been pretty limited, but they've been very positive uh, in terms of, you know, hey, man, you know, when I'm not around the team, I watch the broadcast, great job. And I've asked him, you know, thoughts on, you uh, basketball analytic philosophy type things and have had some intriguing discussions that, you know, out of, uh, respect for, you know, I don't, I don't know that he wants me to get on a a public forum and share what those are. Uh, but we had some, we had some very positive and interesting and enlightening basketball analytic type discussions about, you know, this is my theory about this. And this is my theory about, you know, X, Y, Z and that sort of
0: thing. But you find them interesting at least.
2: Absolutely. So, that doesn't mean that they're all, that doesn't mean I think they're all right. Yeah, but, but you don't I mean, find them all he right. It's a unique way of looking at the game.
0: So, but is there a, maybe it's a personality thing where this guy comes in. And, <laughs> I mean, it, it has well, to I can't
2: be. Look, I can't speak to what his relationship with those other people. I'm
0: not saying you could. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you ever could, but uh, it, it definitely comes off kind of weird and uh, it, it is fun. Uh. Not fun, but funny to to see a lot of the analytical guys that I know come in and go, yeah, man, I'm all for these analytical stuff. Or Ryland's one of those guys, and he goes, but this guy's just too maybe over the top and abrasive. He's he's the Corby of Mavericks, and <laughs> and not able to fully, uh, I don't know, put place himself and have it is what what you're
2: trying to say. I feel like what you're trying to say, tell me what I'm
0: always trying to say, because I'm always bad at what I'm trying to say.
2: What what you're trying to say is sometimes, and I think that this is true in a lot of situations in, uh, different companies. And I don't mean to sound like I'm stereotyping, but sometimes people that are very, very good in data and numbers and things like that, uh, don't necessarily have the best relate best people skills. Is that what you're trying to say? Mm-hmm. I think so. I feel so. like I that's mean, the direction you're going, it's, right? It's uh,
0: okay. I, my best friend Jacob has really bad. I don't know. I'm, I'm just in a sense of like, yeah, people skills. You're just you just splurt things out, and you're like, dude, why would you just say that? You're saying Jacob <laughs> doesn't have a filter. <laughs> well, I'm just moving him as a as a uh, example. So. Sure. <laughs> so.
2: Well, again, you know, like I said, I can't. I, all I can speak to is my interactions with him have been positive. Uh, what his future with the organization is, I don't know, and what his, the dynamic of his relationship with other people, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm certainly not going to come on here and dispute the reporting that took place and by by another person. You know, yeah. I, I respect other people's reporting, so I'm not going to sit here and dispute it or argue it. All I can say is, I can't. You know, add anything to. What the dynamic was like with with him and other people uh, that were discussed in the in the article.
0: Well, it it, it just be, brings up a good question as far as from my uh, people that I trust as analytical guys that they're even coming to the maybe the realization that maybe this experiment isn't the best, and I I wonder how we go forward. Okay, you're going to have a new front office you're gonna have a new head coach do you keep this guy on here that maybe i'm not saying it's a toxic situation but he maybe rubbed people the wrong way and so i don't know
2: you could always keep the person on and they're in a role where there's less interaction
0: i think that could be a good Mm -hmm. thing where yeah yeah yeah, uh, that could be probably where it may go (laughs) but you no know, uh, I, I
2: think uh you know the thing to always like I, I know you didn't necessarily ask me this but the thing about analytics that I always feel like my my feelings on it is it's good to have a system uh I think it's always great to be looking for you know what the um you know best way to play is and you should always be trying to evolve and things like that um but you also have to realize that look you know uh, not every game is the same over the course of a long season you've got to be able to win games different ways. And, you know, my my perfect example of analytics is Game 7 of 2018. Uh, And this this sounds like maybe a little bit of a negative analytic take, and I don't necessarily mean it is, but sometimes you will hear guys say, you know, we have to shoot threes. You know, it's either threes or layups. Threes are better than twos. And I think about Houston, 2018, Game 7. Chris Paul's hurt. Uh, They have a lead over Golden State, and then they proceed to miss 27 straight threes. And You know, Chris Paul is one of the great mid-range players in the game. And I think that if he's healthy for that game, then he's going to say, fuck the analytics. I'm not worried about shooting a three. I'm going to go down. I'm going to get my little free throw line pull-up jumper off a pick and roll that I always am able to get, that I've knocked down way more than 50% of the time when I've shot it throughout the course of my entire career. I'm going to go down and get that. I'm going to get us a bucket. I'm going to get us another bucket like that. And I'm going to stabilize this thing so we stop falling apart because we're in the middle of missing a whole bunch of threes. So I think, you know, every game takes on its own personality and you have to be able to adapt to all of those things <laughs> over the course of games. And that's that's my sort of thought on, you know, uh, threes are better than twos, but we're also we're not two people standing on opposite sides of the gym, just trying to accumulate points as, fi- as quickly as we can. There is yeah. an ebb and flow and each game has its own little ecosystem. And, you know, uh, two is better than zero. Three may be better than two, but two may be better than zero. <laughs> so you've got to be able to adapt to what the game calls for on that particular moment. That's no, I, my, I, my limited thought on there's tremendous value in analytics, but also um, there's tremendous value in being able to read and react to whatever the current situation of that night's game calls for.
0: I think that's fine. Um, I guess we'll end on uh, KP. Will he see the next season as a maverick
2: <laughs> i was about to say well of course he's going to see the next he season. Will, will he
0: uh <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm sure he will but yes. no in a maverick's uniform
2: um i'm not convinced that that's 100 certainty
0: yeah well i mean obviously not 100 certainty but i mean i guess it all depends on the new uh, regime and and do they have plans for this guy and if or do they not will they go Eh, we really don't
2: i think that they'll explore what's out there and uh if nothing satisfactory is out there which you know there's probably a pretty limited trade market for him then they'll make the best of the situation uh obviously the ideal situation i mean he's better uh, his talent is better and his ceiling is better than anybody they could trade him for at this point. Right. So that would be the ideal scenario. Um for but the sure. game is changing, you know. For and so sure. can yeah, can can he get back to the to the player that was averaging 30 points and 9 rebounds in that bubble stuff that you didn't watch last year.
1: I would love to see <laughs> yeah. him under a new coach. Can he get back staff? to that player?
0: Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean that, that's that's the kind of the deal there is I'm almost I know again, I'm not the Basketball genius here, of course, um, but I was like, man, you have KP. It seems like he'd be pretty great. Let's, I think maybe ride one more on this with a new coach. Yeah, especially I mean, if we were talking about Donnie Stan and Carlisle Stan, I would be like, they weren't able to produce for KP. Mm-hmm. We can't, we can't do that. But now I'm like, you know, let's find someone who can possibly keep these both guys uh, together and then let's see what happens. And if it doesn't work out for next year, let's see what happens.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. My, My gut is they'll, they'll see what the options are and probably realize unless something comes way out of the blue, probably realize that the options aren't ideal. And it's like, you know, let's get this guy back to what he was last year. Let's try yeah. to do that. So that, that would be my gut on how it's going to turn out. But I, I'm i I'm, I'm sure that there'll be entertaining phone calls, as they do, by the way, on every player every year, not named Dirk or Luka. Exactly.
0: Right? Well, I mean, right. uh, even uh, Rafe Lafrent. what's his name?
2: Rafe LaFrentz, yeah. Even
0: he got traded. So
2: yeah, <laughs> if he can get every traded. Every contract's tradable, man. Every, yeah, every contract's it, <laughs> Yeah, It just depends on what <laughs> kind of contract you want to take back. For sure. what you have to attach to get rid of the contract, you know, to get somebody to take it on, what kind of uh, tip you have to, what kind of sweetener you have to attach to it. For sure.
0: Well, I appreciate you. Um, you got it, man. Uh, I I feel like we've went pretty long, and I, I feel like we got a lot. There was a lot of meat on the bone this week. So. For sure. There
2: was. There was, man. Uh,
0: yeah. Um, can you... Okay, I don't want to get into soccer, of course. I mean, <laughs> I know you would like to. What other... What other sports do you follow other than soccer?
1: Man, I had that same question actually.
2: <laughs> um, co- I love college football and pro football. Um, I like cycling a lot, so I watch all the Tour de France stages oh, okay. coming up.
1: Okay. Okay. Are you good with Where the you at uh... With the college World Series, you tuned into that? Did you fill out a bracket?
2: I did not. No.
1: Okay, next, no, year, we'll next year we'll get Mark Fowler I actually Cup. run a college baseball bracket challenge. So maybe we can get you in <laughs> I, w- next year. I was
2: curious about how I wanted uh since they were local I was hoping DBU was going to make it to the college. Well, they beat series, my but...
1: frog, so yeah. yeah. I was a little bitter about that. I have. To- know, they're a good team. My Mark- very
2: quick thought on baseball is that the game has changed so drastically in the last few years and there's and because I can't be in tune with the game all the time and watch it all the time. Right. And so therefore uh FABIP and fifth and
1: all this <laughs> stuff
2: that's referred to. I mean, it's like the game is spoken in a language that I don't understand. Like I grew up with, you know, the, the common language of baseball. And man, when I was a kid, yeah, of course. And when I was a kid, like a summer day would be an exercise in just, Passing the time and watching reruns of the Andy Griffith show and stuff like that and the Beverly Hillbillies until the Ranger game came on that night when I was 14 or 15 years old man I couldn't wait to watch even in bad eras of Ranger baseball I couldn't wait to watch them that night and that was my favorite team growing up but you know it's just i don't know man the language of of how baseball is spoken about now is a language that i don't understand nearly as well as the previous language it was spoken in so it's a little hard for me to watch the games until there's a lot riding on it.
0: well i, I mean, have the
2: to... dodgers one i mean i watched all the dodgers world series stuff last year because i like the dodgers but okay
0: know. hey yeah. hey go padres anyways but,
2: <laughs> but I, I i'm sad to say man i have not watched very many ranger games well I,
0: I have to tell you uh Mark, follow up. Get into the College World Series. I am in.
2: I have this, friends who are bigger. Uh, you're not the only as a non-sports to guy. Who are Bigger college baseball fans than pro baseball fans.
1: These these games in this tournament, not just Omaha, have been spectacular. Yeah, There have been some really, really entertaining games. Uh, this game going on right now, uh, Mississippi State was getting no hit until like the 7th, and now they're up 5-4 in the 8th. It's, wow. it's crazy.
2: I saw, I had it on last night, and I saw that Al Leiter's son is pitching for Vanderbilt. Oh my right? God. He got beat somehow. Jack, he struck out 15. He gave up, <laughs> <home run. laughs> yeah. yeah. up
1: a home run. Solo home run. He gave up
0: a home run. Yeah, it's crazy. That was I have a great to game. say. All
1: these games have been good. That Texas game today was really entertaining. They had a couple coaches. They Jeffy won, game. right?
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, they won. I, yeah, I had to. T- I had to say again. The reason why I was out last year was no fans, but now the college baseball has brought back the fans, and in, in full force, and that has brought the energy of the entire thing. And I yeah. and it was something where I was like, eh, I don't really care. Like you asked me two or three years ago, I didn't really care, but now with no fans compared to fans. Whew, it's just, yeah. Some, it's it's there's a different feeling to it. So.
2: And college baseball fans are pretty hard, man. They're pretty tough. Ooh, they are they will, brutal. Uh, yeah, they are brutal. <laughs> they get after you, man. When they bring up the keys the at the end. Of it. It, <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it's my number one sport. <laughs> Co-
2: college baseball.
1: Yeah, it is. You're
2: the first person I've ever met. Said. I know.
1: I, I'm weird. But <laughs> Jacob it, It's is not a judgment.
2: Dude. It's just an observation. Well, no,
1: going, going to TCU it's and then being fun. nationally elite helps with that. But yeah, I love the sport overall.
2: Well, good times, man. If we could, well, probably, I'll, I'll start. I'll start watching a little bit more this week. If we
0: could pitch, you know, college baseball to Mark Follow, I think we did our our best. But man, hey,
1: leaving my legacy in the world—that's you know. <laughs> what it's all about.
0: <laughs> all right, Mark. Well, I I greatly appreciate, it. and I have to say this again. I know you're about to be. I, you said you're about to be fifty.
2: No, I turned fifty three three months ago.
0: You you turned fifty. <sighs> yeah, We're I'm telling you. 51. I put. I put. I put. I put Corby Davidson and Mark Follow as as folks that I, I look at forever as 25. They're just always 25. It doesn't matter how old they get or whatever. But uh, Mark Fellow in this city is a uh, – should be – put up on the pedestal as one of the great broad- broadcasters in this city. And I greatly appreciate you coming on and well, you, you guys know, are, you guys yeah. are too nice, man. You no, no, are, I, I, I have to say, I, mean, I, I think you're, I think you're great for this city. And I, 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 I can't say enough about it. I think you're foolish to come on this podcast, but <laughs> it's, it's regardless of that. No but...
2: <laughs> My wife's yelling the same thing at me. Yeah, right now. I know. <laughs> I, I, gra-
0: I greatly appreciate it, but it, it's getting dark and it, it's time to go. But I, 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 Thank you a lot, Mark. And uh, yep. we'll hope to have you on the third time. We'll, we'll see what happens next year.
2: Yeah. Well, much love to you guys. All the best. And, uh, you know, good luck moving forward with another dumb podcast. <laughs> oh,
1: awesome.
0: Idea. You're nice awesome, start. Mark. Work, right. See you guys. See you there.